and uh, women's choir. And you know what that means for the men? They're, they're raising the challenge. That means that they're saying, guys, now's your turn. Step up. Uh, women are singing because it's Father's Day. And so we just want to take this moment to also say, dads, what we do, it's far more important than we could ever imagine. And your role and in all that you, you have done and all that you continue to do is so vital. And I was just reading an article today. I posted it on my Facebook. It's from New York Times. But the New York Times secular magazine, a newspaper, is saying how the role of fathers in their connection with their children is the number one single factor of how faith sticks with the next generation. And this is from New York Times. And so as we gather here, you dads, I want to encourage you. I want to ask that you keep praying for your children, your role in their lives. Even I know we have some 90-year-olds here. It never ends, and you are phenomenal. And I'm not saying that just because I'm a dad, but moms and dads, God has anointed you and blessed you, and uh, we hope that you are encouraged on this Father's Day, not only just filled with gratitude, but that you are filled with God's strength. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we pray for the fathers as well as prepare our hearts to receive the word? God, thank you, Lord, that you are the perfect parent that you are the Heavenly Father who just is not afar, but you know our hurts, you know our loneliness, you know our needs, you know the depths of our sin, and you came, and you conquered, you took on, and that you redeemed this world. And Lord, as we look at our world, and as we look at our fathers who work so hard and who try their best, knowing we're not perfect, we thank you, Lord, that you give us grace and also the encouragement to get up and keep running this race for your glory as we bless our children and our families. So God, we pray for the fathers that you would equip them, that you would allow them to see and continue to expand their hearts and their understanding that their role is beyond just providing food, but that their very presence instills upon love, joy, and faith. So God, we thank you, and as we continue on worshiping, we ask your Holy Spirit to strengthen and nurture all of us, that we would be hungry for your word, that we would be hungry for you, God, that we could celebrate and rejoice in having you as God and King. Lord, all these things we pray in the name of our Messiah, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We are in Ephesians, and uh, I want to start off by saying, did you ever receive an incredible gift? Um, for me, it was in fourth grade, and it was not incredible but it was one of the best gifts. It was a digital watch. 1984, when a child gets a digital watch, that's the thing to have. I slept with it, I play with it, every day I would wash it, it was weird. But when you receive a gift, something that precious that you fourth grader cannot afford, you don't just throw it out, kick it aside, let it collect dust. You thank the giver and you treat it with treasure. Sometimes we don't do that. Uh, there's a TV show called Extreme Home Makeover. How many of you have ever watched that? And these are stories of people at the brink of foreclosure, and they have nothing left, and ABC comes in, and, and I think, it, I, don't, I don't know his name, but they come in and they say, we want to redo your whole house. And there's hundreds of, not hundreds, maybe hundreds, of homes where they took these families, moved them out, and renovated their whole house, and the community comes to give them gifts to renovate this home and take like a 1,200-square-foot home and make it into 3,500-square-foot, and they're just weeping with joy at the end of the show, and it feels good. You know that part? Everyone's like, oh, that's so beautiful. Sadly, there are five cases 
of families that have received this incredible gift. And you would think, what do you do? How do you live now as you receive this gift and receive $50,000 sometimes to pay off their mortgage? Now they're clear. A few families decided to do the unwise thing of take out mortgage on that beautiful home. $300,000. A year later, they took out $700,000. And they ate into the equity. And sure enough, what do you think happened? They couldn't pay it back. And these extreme home makeover gifts were foreclosed. And the community, one of them was interviewed, and they said, it is like an egg on our face. We gave with joy, and now it's a foreclosed home. That is so tragic. When we receive an invaluable gift, there is nothing you can do to repay it. But there is a certain way of living in gratitude of it. So when we look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Paul is saying to us, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What he's saying is, I just went over the first letter and said we have received an incredible gift that we cannot earn, deserve, or we're worthy of. You can't pay it back. Don't try to say, God, I'll be good to you from now on. No, you just receive it. But what you can do, as Paul is saying here, Live a life worthy of that call. Can you say that with me? Live a life worthy of that call. So for the church, this message is, are you living a life worthy of the calling you have received? What does that look like? So he goes on. So here's what it looks like. When you, when you are a church that, and, and followers who look at Jesus and say, I cannot believe you died for me. I cannot believe you You could have sat on your throne and watched us die and laugh because we were rebelling against you. But instead, you became a baby, grew up 33 years. You got whipped, spit on, beaten, nailed, crucified on a cross, and died for me. And now I could be forgiven and have eternal life. Are you kidding me? And the church, what do you do with that? How are you living? Are you living a life worthy of the call? Again, we're not talking about paying back out of guilt. We're talking about this extreme home makeover. Got this beautiful house. How will you live? By taking out debt <laughs> or living in gratitude? So he goes on. So the first thing we see, what does this look like? It's a church. He goes right into it. What does a life worthy of the calling look like? Verse 2. It's a church that looks completely humble, gentle, patient, and bearing with one another in love. Worthy of the call are people in the church who live by treating others differently. We don't treat others like everyone else does. There's humility. You know, I think we have a hard time grasping what this idea of humility is. Humility is not, I stink. Want to play tennis? Oh, I'm humble. I, I, I stink. No, that's not. Humility is this. And I, I, you know, just a good definition is having a low view of one's importance. Did you catch that? It's not having a low view. It's having a low view of one's importance. So I don't come into a room as a pastor and I say, watch out everybody, the pastor's here. Kiss my hand. You know, whether I'm a pastor or I'm a dad, I don't go into a room and say, kids, kids, it's time to get real, the father's here. Come little ones. I don't go into a teenage room and like, oh, you little brats, 
the real mature man. It's having a low view. So instead, a dad comes home and says, hi, kids. How are you doing? What, what can we do today? Is there something daddy could do for you? It's getting down to the level that you know your dad, you know you're a pastor, you know you're a grandmother, you know you're an executive, but your view of your own importance is humble. And when we look at the church, and Jesus, Paul is saying this is how we live, we are humble and we bear with one another. We are a church that does not walk around with our nose in the air. Whether you're an elder deacon, whether you've been here 50 years or you've been here on first day, we have a meek, humble view of one another. So when somebody comes in, I don't go, who are they? What are they doing here? Who dresses like that? Did you hear how she lives? And we throw all of that out. And we say, by the grace of God, welcome. How can I serve you? See, Paul is, this is what Paul's saying. We bear with one another. We're patient. And bearing, by the way, it's this idea that you're going to get people that annoy you. Say amen if you've experienced that. And what Paul is saying is don't get rid of them. Bear with them. Daddy, 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 daddy. Give me one second. Daddy, 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 daddy. Bearing with them is, I love you. I need a little time. I'll be right there in five minutes. Just stop saying daddy a hundred times. That's bearing with them. It's love. Opposite is, shut up. Opposite is, get out. Don't you know I'm doing something serious? Go bother your mom. (laughs) And when we look at church, we think I go to church and everyone should be perfect. I shouldn't even go into an area of bearing because everybody better be humble because I certainly am. And when they're not humble, whoa, this is not acceptable. And we have this view that's so distorted that we think other people should be pleasant to us, but I don't have to be pleasant to them. What Paul is saying here is in first church, you're going to have people that annoy you. Bear with them with Christian humility and love. We are a church that lives out a call worthy of this gift of God with humility and gentleness. So, you know, we, a couple of things just to model it. Humble church is serving church. We don't wait to be served. We ask, how are you? Can I get you something? How are you? You know, what can I do for you? We initiate that. We're not a complaining church, and if we do, for every 10 complaints, you, you gotta, every one complaint, you got to wonder, do I give 10 encouragements? Do I give affirmations? By the way, how many of you love hanging out with people that all they do is complain? Not one. I, I, pl- I went golfing a few weeks ago, and then this guy I just met, Forsum, he goes, oh, you guys are so nice to play with. Uh, we're like, why? I play with one guy after 17 holes, like after like half the holes, I just had to go home because all he did was whine, whine about everything, job, work, life. And I said, I couldn't take it. And he's not even a Christian. He's just saying like, I, I don't go to church, but I can't take whiners. And for some reason in church, we feel entitled that we could complain about everything. And I'm just saying, it's okay. We need to know. But for every one complaint, here's a challenge. Give 10 encouragements. Good job. I like how you're doing this. Thank you. Keep it up. It's not easy. Let me pray for you. So this is humility. 
and it's teachable. Lastly, it's just practical. Um, the church that lives worthy of the call and humility, it's, we don't say, it's my way because I like it that way. That's not humble. It's, I see people. What will best lift them up? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. I love the fact I go to preschool, chapel on Wednesday, and I don't look at them and say, these little brats, all right, I got to go give them the word of God. I love the fact that I could just become one of them and say, hey guys, how are you? I'm not holier than you. I'm not better than you. I just want to be a big friend that points you to an awesome God. And I could feel that. And the kids are like, yay! And they slap my hand and break it. And, you know, stuff. So, so Paul is saying, live a life worthy of the call. We first, the way we treat one another is different. Make every effort to keep the unity. So he goes on to two. A church worthy of the call lives a desired calling into unity. They live in unity. Now, some of you are like, Unity is we get along and we're one. It's so profound, and this is going to be the longest one. He goes on. Let me just see. Look at verse 4 through 6. How many times do you see the word one? There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. You were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What Paul is saying is, in Jesus Christ, the gift you, say, you gave, you've been received, you received, makes you, by nature, guess what? If Christ is your Lord, we have become one. Through baptism, through faith, through hope, through one God. In other words, right now in Africa, right now in North Korea, right now in South America, there are people worshiping in huts, there are people worshiping with, with drums, there are people dancing, there are people playing, you know, singing a song though for three hours. And guess what? In Jesus Christ, that's not them. That's us. In other words, there's a Methodist church here and there's a Grace Evangelical Free Church. You know what Paul is saying to us? In Jesus Christ, it's not that church is doing so much better than our church. It's not a competition. You know what we say? God bless those brothers and sisters. We are one church. How would you, how does that strike you? Unity in Christ by nature is that we don't have to look the same. It's not uniformity. It is unity in Christ. Someone once said a uh, uh, difference between uniformity and unity, and I'm sorry, sorry for cat lovers. It's like tie two cat's tails together and throw them over, over you know, throw them, throw them out into the street. See what, see what that looks like. You could have uniformity, but not unity. And I know some of you are like, Pastor Jason, that's, that's really inappropriate. But the point that the person's making is, you could look and connect, be connected as one, but you don't have, that doesn't mean you're united. How many churches, including ours, had a history, we worship and we look the same, but we had no unity. So what Paul is saying is, by nature in Jesus Christ, we have unity, but in relationship, we need to fight for that unity. Uh, any of you have a coin? Anyone quarter right now? Really quick, quarter. Anyone quarter, please? Quarter. Come on. Time is ticking. I charge by the hour. Let's go. Oh, no, 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 don't throw it. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. 
Wow. That's pretty crazy. Okay. Okay. On every quarter, on every quarter, there is, there is a saying in, in Latin. Do you guys know what it is? Okay, sorry, I'm so, I can't hear you. It says, e pluribus unum. Do you know what that means? What does it mean? Out of the many, we are one. The unity that Paul is talking about is we are so different and diverse in gifts, in appearance, and in backgrounds, but Christ brings it all to one, e pluribus unum. Early colonials use this as we are 13 colonies, but we are one nation. You are Latino, you are Anglo, you are Asian, you are Middle Eastern, but in Christ we are e pluribus unum, unity in diversity. Did you know that's the word university? University is that through our diversity there is unity. This is what Paul is saying the church is. This is what unity strives for, that we bring together all this one. So A.W. Tozer says this, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. Friends, you and I have unity when you and I seek after Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives. Amen? It is not we find unity because we go to church together and we're going to go every Sunday and we're going to go to this church. We have unity. That's the piano trying to tune to each other. But you know how we could be universal church as one? All the nations bow down to one king. And in that we have solid unity. So I could go meet my African friends. I could go meet my Iraqi Christian friends, Syrian Christian friends, and say, you and I, friends, we are brothers by blood. Is that awesome? We need to take this idea of unity and go blast through these walls in that Jesus Christ is calling us into something deeper, and we need to live into that and out of that. So what are some things that threaten this unity? And Paul's going to address it, but there's two things. One is he implicitly Lack of humility threatens this unity. I am more important than you. I have been here longer than you. I may give more offering than you. Or I'm just smarter than you. Lack of humility, what he's saying is, destroys unity. I don't go to that church. By the way, those people who say, I don't go to that church, you're a bunch of snobs. What are you guilty of right there? (laughs) You're saying you're superior to them because they're inferior in their morality. So friends, what this is calling us all to is, can we be humble? They're not perfect, and we don't serve because they are, but we serve because Jesus Christ serves all of us. So, lack of humility, and two, Paul talks about explicitly here, verse 14. I'll just touch it a little really quick. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. What divides unity? False teachers in the early church and today divides the church's unity. I I know a lot of Christians who say today, and I don't know how they could be, this goes to the very head, 
I, I, I like Jesus, but he's not God, and he did not rise again from the dead. He rose spiritually. And I said, brother, if, if Jesus Christ is not that God to you, as revealed in Scripture, that, that, that's a threat that concerns my unity. Because I know you could come and you could make mistakes. You could, I'm, a, I'm a goof up. We have grace. But when the very thing that ties us to united to unity is Christ, and we have a different teaching on that, we have a unity problem. And Paul, this is what Paul's expressed thing is. So this ties into our third thing. Unity is, in this diversity, is that we recognize each other's gifts. Some of you, I want you, I want you to turn with me chapter 4. And I want to read verse 7, if you have your Bible. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. What is Paul saying? What Paul is saying is, each one of us. Raise your hand if you're included in that statement. Thank you. It's not the pastor who's been gifted. What does each one of us mean? Each one of us. You all have been gifted with a diverse gift of a kind. And what Paul is saying is, in this unity, each of you have been gifted with a gift. Use it to grow and nurture this body. I don't know what your gifts are, but I want to tell you, it's not humility to say, I have nothing. I don't know what I could offer. That sounds so humble, but you know what that's saying? You're undermining God. (laughs) God, you're powerful, but you can't do anything with me. Sorry, good try. I'm so hopeless, even you can't do anything. Friends, what we go to God is, when we look at this, is God, in Christ, unlock what you have given to me, and how can I use it for the church? How can I use it for this kingdom? So he goes on about apostles, he goes about teachers, uh, workers, um, priests, pastors, and, and evangelists. You and I have been called to this body that in our diversity, we have this awesome unity. By the way, look around. I love this. I, 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 people are like, how's your church going? And I say, by the grace of God, I don't know what God's doing, but it's kind of different. I'm seeing children. I'm seeing all kinds of people. And this is what a glimpse of heaven is going to look like. Amen? And we don't want to become just one type of church. We want to be the church of Christ. And whoever God dr- brings into this community, we celebrate our risen Lord. And each of you bring diverse backgrounds. Uh, I know Koreans, uh, you know, for us, we're, we're passionate people. We're like, I think we're kind of like Latinos in this. When we eat, we eat with passion. <laughs> when we dance, we, we, we go to karaoke, we sing with passion, which you'll never hear me sing. But, in, I mean, in karaoke, but like, but, you know, when, and then there's some, and I met some great people, different cultures, and all of these things brought together to coordinate and work. You know how awesome that sounds? You can't make a melody with one note. You need all kinds of notes. Charles Horton knows that. He composes songs. So what Paul is saying is, in this diversity, make it one. Lastly, he goes on. It's a church that seeks to find spiritual maturity. How many of you are proud that you could pour cereal, milk into your cereal by yourself? How many of you are really proud? Good, good, good. I hope you don't put that on Facebook and say, today I made cereal all by myself. Hallelujah. I, I don't think anyone does that. 
I, I don't think anyone goes, today I took a shower. My, my actually son, we celebrated it. He was like, dad, I took a shower all by myself. That's cool because he's six years old. But if you're, if you're 35 years old, working man in, in LA, and you say, Pastor Jason, I took a shower all by myself. I'm going to say, you need help. You, you, I don't know what to say about that. What Paul is saying here is spiritually, we're a church that seeks to become mature. In other words, don't be content just that you're saved and now I'm going to heaven. Paul doesn't talk about that. He's saying we need to build ourselves up to maturity so that we won't be tossed back and forth. So that when the world teaches us, hey, I, don't think, I, think, I think all religions go to God, I want to believe that. But you could say, I look at the word of God and I want that to be true. I wish everyone, but there are some things that Jesus himself says in the end there will be a separation. And I just want you to know, do you know this good news? When somebody says to you, the word of God is just a made up story, it's a myth, I want you to say, hey, it says the word of God is an inspired word of God, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. You know, we'll agree to disagree, but I don't think it's just man-made that 66 books came together in one synergistic thought over 4,000 years by 40 different authors to make one point that God is triune and he is alive and he wants you and I today. I don't think any brilliant people can do that. And then he says this as Christians. I want this to be for those who are very passionate, but I want us to, verse 15, and I'll wrap it up soon. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. The key for us in maturity and growing is to be in a point where we could speak truth in love. For example, if you speak truth without love, this is how you sound. You're wrong. I'm right. You're going to hell. And they say, wow, that makes me want to go to your church. Not. (laughs) Speaking love without truth is this. You know, you're right. Believe what you want to believe. I don't want to offend you. You're right. You're right. Let's, I love you. I don't want to fight with you. Great. Try that as a doctor who just did an x-ray and you found cancer and you don't want to hurt this family's feelings. Try that and see how fast you'll get sued from malpractice. Gospel of Jesus Christ is this. Speak the truth, but in love. In love, speak the truth. This past week, I went to Starbucks, and then I was just, I'll end with a story about this. And I'm working on church, and then some guy's like, hey, Korea, I got lost in Ghana. And I was like, what? And he's like, you're Korean, right? I'm sorry. And I was like, wow, he's bold. And I said, yeah. He's like, boy, you guys got killed. I'd be embarrassed. And I was like, what? <laughs> and so I'm just like, well, thank you. I'll follow the World Cup. And then he's like, and I was like trying to do work, and he says, um, you know, so what do you think about these shootings? And I was like, oh. God, I guess you want me to talk to him. So I closed my laptop, and I said, I think it's horrible. And I saw a cross on his shirt. So I was thinking, he's trying to evangelize to me. Maybe do I look that sinful? And then he, 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 said, he said, you know, I said to him, yeah, it's a scary world, and, and we need faithful people. We need to live in the fear of God and trust that he's, he is in control, even through the scary things. And he goes, oh, I don't believe in God and church. I think religion, all you guys do is well, you want money, and you control people with it. And I said, wow. So I got really intrigued, and then we started talking, and, and one thing led to another, and, I, and it was such an incredible conversation. And I said, you know, what's your name? He said, Roger. 
And I could just, he was like, I don't believe in God. I think we're matter, and what matters is how we treat one another. And I said, that's awesome. Because no matter what, we have to treat neighbors with kindness. And I said, you know what, Roger, I agree with you. I think churches have abused power for money and control. Early church and even churches today. But here's one thing. I don't model the church by the institution. I model after Jesus Christ who came, who is God, who is gracious, who is truth, and who says, I welcome you all. He models servanthood and humility. And I'm sorry if you saw that in church. And he goes, well, Jesus is made up, you know, it's man-made writings about him. And I said, hey, George Washington existed. How do you know he existed? Man-made writings. <laughs> and then we started having conversation. And then at the end of the conversation, as I was not disagreeing, but trying to show him a different perspective of how to see this truth, I said, Roger, I, I love your dream of your company. And I said, I want you to succeed. That's a great, he wants to do an organic company and work with nutrition and fight obesity. And I said, Roger, start there. And I think God gave you that vision, whether you believe it or not, but do it well. And then he said, he said to me, he said, he looked at me like, wow. And then I said, um, it was really good talking with you. And he said, thank you, friend. And bless you and your family and your children. And I was just stuck, struck because I didn't condemn him. I spoke truth and love and he calls me friend and he's giving me a benediction. Bless you, your children, and may you have health. And I walked away and he, he's like, I'm, I'm at Starbucks, hope to see you again. And I said, me too. And I realized, I think that's how Jesus would talk to people in a way that makes them feel not crushed, but to bring truth in a way that they're not right, but we don't have to condemn them for being wrong. And then we could bring light and let God reveal that. And what Paul is saying is you can't do that as baby Christians. You can't do that without grasping the word of God. You can't do that by just going to church on Sundays. We have to, in all things, grow to maturity so that this body of Christ matures so we could handle the word of God. Next two chapters of Ephesians gets really hard about marriage and family. But Paul's setting this up to say, we received this incredible gift, extreme home makeover. Are you living in selfishness? Or are you going to live a life worthy of this incredible gift? We received Jesus Christ. Are we going to just go to church and just say, I could dump my sins and I don't have to change? Or are you going to live a life worthy of the call? And here it is the call. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, as God is holy, so be holy. Our calling is to become holy people, looking like Jesus. God, let me mirror you to this dark world, and may you receive all the glory. That's church. That's unity in our diversity. And in Christ, we can have that. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you, God, that we, as a people in Jesus Christ, Lord, 